Morning. I've got quite full hands. Hang on a sec. Pop my water down. How are we all today? Had a, had a few glitches and hitches in our baby dedications, but um, beautiful. It's just a beautiful moment, isn't it? Just to, to pray over our children, to remind ourselves um, that they are part of our family and a really important part of our family too. Now, we're continuing on with our theme of facets, and we are each week unpacking a different aspect of who Jesus is. And as I was preparing my message for today, I was reminded of a moment that Peter and I had in Everyman Cinema. Who's been to Everyman Cinema? Give me a wave. Yeah, it's the posher one, isn't it? Nice couches, they bring a drink. Um, once you've been to Everyman, it's pretty hard to go back to the humble Odeon. And uh, we were there at, uh, at Everyman one evening, and we just watched a movie, and Pete needed to go to the loo, so I was waiting in the kind of coffee cafe area for him. And time passed, and he didn't emerge, and uh, I was beginning to wonder where he was. And when he came out, he looked really pale and really shaken. So obviously, I was like, babe, what's going on? What happened? He said, well, I just got myself into the cubicle, and I was just, you know, getting on with stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, I could hear all this, like, shouting in the toilets, and these guys, they were super angry. And uh, they began to bang on my door. And they're like, Dean, are you in there? Are you in there, mate? Because we're going to get you when you come out. In fact, there were a lot of expletives, which I won't repeat, from the platform. And um, these, like, these angry guys are like, <laughs> banging on the cubicle. So Pete's thinking, OK, I don't really know what to do. Do I say it's not Dean? Do I just stay quiet and hope they'll go away? Um, there's no escape route, so I'm going to have to do something. And then all of a sudden, it went quiet. And they went, it is you in there, Dean, isn't it? And Pete went, no, I'm not Dean. <laughs> At which point, these guys say, oh, we're so sorry. We're just playing a prank on our mate. And um, eventually, Pete emerged. And they were still waiting there, weren't they, for you, just to check you were OK. But he came out a little shaken uh, from that moment. We all have a variety of different reactions to anger, don't we? Some of us, we retreat and withdraw when people get angry. We just shut down. Others of us respond in kind. Yep, you, you can identify yourself if, that, if you're that kind. And I have to admit that there have been moments where I might have expressed a cross a tone with one of my daughters to have uh, noticed that they, they hit me straight back with it. So, um, you know, I, I'm guilty sometimes of that too. Um, and for others of us, we just become really awkward and uncomfortable when we're in a situation where somebody's highly angry. It's difficult, isn't it? Anger is a difficult emotion. So when I talk about this aspect of Jesus today, Jesus the table turner, I'm inviting you to sit in an uncomfortable space with me today. Because if I'm honest, I think we feel so much more comfortable with other facets of who Jesus is. We're comfortable with Jesus, the kind guy. We're comfortable with Jesus's compassion. We are comfortable with Jesus who performs miracles and heals the sick and, you know, makes sure that nobody goes hungry. But how do we feel about angry Jesus? And maybe for those of you who have come to church for the first time today, Perhaps you're thinking, well, honestly, that's all I've ever heard of. I always feel like God's angry because that's how the church tends to represent him. I want us to sit 
with this uncomfortable aspect of who Jesus is today because it's easy to gloss past this whole deal of Jesus getting angry. But actually, there are a number of instances in the Gospels where Jesus gets really cross. He gets really angry. And I like that because we know that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And he displays a whole range of emotions, as we heard from Matt last week. He so powerfully told us about that human element of who Jesus was. And the fact that Jesus got angry like you and me, I think is an encouraging sign because it shows us that actually anger is part of the way that God has wired us. The problem comes with the fact that we are not also fully God. So the way that we deal with our anger often causes us to stumble and it causes us to sin. But Jesus was without sin. So there's a lot that we can learn as we actually take a look at Jesus displaying this powerful emotion of anger. In fact, I would say it's an invitation for us to lean a little closer, to take note. Uh, Wait, what does this actually mean moment? Because if Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father then the anger that he displayed must show us something of the nature of his dad in heaven and the heart of God. So we're going to look at three instances this morning where Jesus gets angry. And the first one is the turning the tables moment. Turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Mark 11, and we're going to read verses 15 to 18. Now, There are accounts of Jesus turning the tables in all four Gospels. And theologians widely agree that there were actually two separate events where Jesus did this. And I'm focusing today on Mark's Gospel. And this was around the time of Passover, approximately a week before Jesus went to the cross, okay? Um, Just to clarify that for you. Mark 11, 15 to 18. Let's read together. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. I just want us to imagine this for a moment. It's Passover. The temple is absolutely rammed because everybody is coming to offer their sacrifices. And people are coming from far and wide. They're coming from other nations as well. So it's busy. And you can imagine if you were a teacher of the law, if you were one of those people responsible for orderly worship, this guy coming in and upending the tables is possibly not what you're wanting to see. But Jesus loved his father's house. And even at a young age, he went missing when his family were returning from this very same festival. And they found him three days later and he's sitting with the teachers of the law and he's having a good old discussion about the Bible. And his response to his parents when they get angry with him is, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? There's this overwhelming love, even as a teenager, for his father's house. Yet when he enters the temple this time, 
Jesus gets angry and he clears the deck. And I kind of imagine it in slow motion, like in a movie, you know, just Jesus just running his hands over the tables and just in rage, pushing them over, driving out the merchants, turning the tables of the money changers and the dove sellers. It's a massive display of how passionate he is about something. So what's the deal? Why is Jesus so angry in this moment? It's not comfortable to think of Jesus as angry. So what's going on? Well, I think that what he teaches helps clarify why he's so angry. They've tarnished his dad's house. They've misrepresented the heart and the home of God. And this moment is like, it's like a physical demonstration of Jesus' entire mission to eradicate anything that gets in the way between God and those he loves. That's you and me. He's restoring worship. He's restoring communion. He's restoring relationship in this moment because these guys were busy putting big burdens and obstacles in the way of the lost and the least. And Jesus was not up for that. In fact, he won't stand for anything that hinders the lost and the least from accessing his kingdom. So he clears the deck. And there are two key things that we can draw out from his teaching here. And he references each with a verse from the Old Testament, which I'm going to unpack because it blew my mind when I studied this. Firstly, I'm going to start at the, the, the tail end. He says that they've made it into a den of robbers. Well, what does he mean by that? He actually links it back to a verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, verse 11, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. But he's mad because these traders and money changers, they're taking advantage of the poorest and the most vulnerable, those who God most passionately cares about. As I've said, it was Passover and it was busy and there were people flocking to the temple, but they couldn't come without a sacrifice. They had to have a sacrifice to offer. And in order to, to, to kind of go through that process of worship, every man was required by Jewish law to pay a tribute to the service of the sanctuary, which was half a shekel. It was a Jewish coin. However, the area of Judea was under the rule of the Romans. And so that money was Roman coinage which meant that the money changers, they did provide a valuable service because they would change a Roman coin for the half shekel that was needed to be able to, to do what was necessary for worship. However, particularly when so many thousands of people were coming to the temple during a time like Passover, these guys set up inside the court of the Gentiles and they would use it as an opportunity to extort people, to defraud them, to oppress the poor. They were preying on the disadvantaged. They were taking more than they should in exchange for that transaction. Now, the preferred sacrifice to be offered at the temple was actually a lamb, but not everybody could afford a lamb. And this is a really important point because when we think about like, why did he care about the dove sellers? There were probably other people selling other types of sacrifice. So what was it about the dove sellers? Well, in the Levitical code for the poor, Leviticus verse five, sorry, five verse seven says this, anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin. So when the poor went into the temple, where would they head? Straight for the dove sellers. Wow. 
Jesus is aiming his anger directly at the groups who had economic dealings with the poor. His anger is stirred towards the way that the poor are being treated and exploited in his dad's house. And the verse that he references about the den of robbers comes from Jeremiah 7, verse 11, and it says this, Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, says the Lord. And I just love that. You can imagine, like, God's like, I've got my eye on you. I can see what you're doing. Jesus comes in and he sees this scene of poor and vulnerable people being exploited in his dad's house. And he's angry because he knows the heart of God is for the poor. He's announced it in his Beatitudes. He's made it clear that the kingdom of heaven is for the poor and the needy and the broken and the lost. And these guys are making worship for them inaccessible. He's putting, they're putting barriers in the way. They are hindering these people from coming and having their worship moment with God. And he's like, no way. That is n- you're not doing that in my father's name. This is my father's house. It bears his name. I'm not okay with that. Wow. Secondly, he says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And this references Isaiah 56, 7. This is so significant, right? All nations. No elitism in the kingdom. The all nations part is, it's so important. I want to burst. You see, back then in Jewish society, there were pretty much two groups. Jews and everyone else. Gentiles. Anyone who wasn't a Jew was in that bracket. And the Jewish people believed that Gentiles were outside the special covenant with God. And and they were. Because of their race, they were also precluded from accessing the inner courts of the temple. There was a court, the court of the Gentiles, and that was for everyone who wasn't a Jew. That was their space that was allotted to them. One section of the temple where they could pray and worship. And that is exactly where these guys had set up their wares. And you can imagine it. They've got all their tables there. They're selling stuff. They're exploiting people. But not only that... They're they're calling out. They're touting their wares. Hey, come get your doves for sacrifice. Come change your money. And Jesus walks into the outer courts, this space that is reserved for anyone who isn't Jewish. And he sees the noise. And he sees the merchandise. And he sees all these barriers put in the way. They can't even hear themselves think, let alone enter into that space of communion and worship. at the most important time of year, Passover. And he sees red. He's like, no way. Not on my watch. I'm not okay with this. Everyone should be able to access my father. Everyone should have the opportunity. And so he's not happy. Because they've missed the heart of God for all of his children. The way they were treating the Gentiles was unacceptable to Jesus. Now, if you want to understand this facet of God's character and why Jesus is upholding it here in such a righteously angry way, we need to look at Isaiah 56. Because that's the verse that he quotes about prayer for all nations. But 
I'm going to take the liberty of just reading the few verses before because this absolutely blew my mind. If you want to understand the heart of God for you today and for every single person that he's created, just read it with me. Isaiah 56. I'm going to read the whole thing, but I didn't want to put all of it on the screen, okay? So I've cut out a couple of verses. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Wow. Just just stop there. Those Gentiles who maybe thought, I'm not a Jew. I'm not important. God's never going to be interested in me. And the first thing that God is saying is, no way. If your heart is sincere in pursuing me, if you are covenanted with me, you are not excluded. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. In other words, I'm going to lavish you, lavish you who have been excluded because you can't have children. I'm going to lavish you with a name better than sons and daughters. Wow, wow, wow. And foreigners which is what we're looking at here, who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Is that not beautiful? Oh my goodness, this blows my mind because the reason Jesus is so angry in this moment is because he's walking into this space and he knows that those foreigners, those Gentiles who have come, they're most likely to have come from other nations. So they've had a long and a dangerous, a treacherous journey to get there. They won't have been able to have brought a sacrifice because the journey will have taken such a long time. The livestock probably wouldn't make it. So they are going to have to use that exchanging money exchange and they're going to have to use the um, the dove exchange perhaps or maybe they'll go and buy a sheep if they're if they're a little more wealthy but they've already overcome so much to be there the devotion and the sincerity of their worship is not in question and so then to find that they are being exploited. They're being denied. There are all these barriers put in the way. Jesus is angry with the injustice and he's not having it on his watch. So what does this mean for us? I want to challenge us this morning firstly. Is there any way that we sometimes might be hindering or excluding others in their worship or communion with Jesus? Are there subtle barriers that we might put in the way? Have we become consumeristic at the expense of others when it comes to our worship? Who might we be guilty of keeping Jesus off limits to? But then I want to offer some encouragement to you. There are no lengths that Jesus will not go to in order to bring you and me into restored relationship with his dad in heaven. He wants nothing and no one to stand in our way. He longs for everyone everywhere to receive the love and acceptance of his dad. 
number two. Here's Jesus turning convention on its head this time. Um, so he's not turning tables, but he's turning social convention on its head. This is a famous moment, and it's really apt since we've had baby dedications this morning, where the disciples bring children, or children are wanting to come. Their parents bring them, actually, to Jesus, and they ask him to, to lay hands and to bless and pray for them. But the disciples shoo them away. Let's read together. The people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. In other translations, it says pray or bless. Bless. Um, the disciples shooed them off, but Jesus was irate, and he let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very center of life in the kingdom. Mark this. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Then gathering the children up in his arms, what a beautiful image, he laid his hands of blessing on them. Another moment where Jesus gets angry in the message translation that I just read from, it's translated as irate. Um, but the Greek word comes from the verb um, aganakteo, which translates as to be indignant or greatly displeased. Jesus is greatly displeased with this moment. And indignant translates as anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. So again, why is Jesus angry? It's injustice. He hates injustice when we treat people less than we should. Children had a really low social standing in biblical times. They were, in Jewish culture, considered to be a gift from God. And there was something very important about having children in terms of the generations and lineage. Um, however, in societal terms, children were at the bottom of the heap. It wasn't so much like it is now where, you know, children often determine quite a lot of things in households. But back then, they were considered inferior and unimportant. They had no rights. Whereas today, children are more protected. I, there's work to do, but they're definitely higher now in the pecking and the priority order. So when the disciples shooed them away and rebuked them for wanting to get near to Jesus, speaking to them as though they're dirt, they actually probably thought they were doing a helpful thing. Someone as important as Jesus doesn't want to be bothered by someone as unimportant as a child. Surely he has more valuable people to give his time to, to bless and to pray for. But how wrong could they be? Jesus is properly mad. He hates the way they treat these children with no dignity, no respect, no real value. Once again, his dad's heart is being misrepresented in this moment. The kingdom of heaven isn't just for the wise and the grown-up. It's for the foolish and the childlike. Children are not to be put off limits. They are exactly who the kingdom is for. And I love this because the disciples put a barrier between those children and the blessing of God. And Jesus won't have it. And I love the tr message translation here. Don't ever get between them and me. You can hear those words, can't you? Jesus is saying, no way. You've missed the point. If you think I'm too important to lay my hands on these children, you don't understand my dad in heaven at all. Wow. Those on the outside, those who are disqualified or disregarded, they're brought into the center. They have access. And more than that, they're the model. 
The children are the standard that Jesus mentions for everyone else. They're the ones who set the tone for us. And I love, we had a conversation in staff meeting last week, and I was just talking about the fact that we're really conscious of not overrunning down here so that our kids' church team, um, you know, have the grace to continue serving week upon week. Um, But there are moments where, you know, God might be doing something, and we'd love to just extend it. And Laura was straight back with, what, you think the Holy Spirit isn't moving upstairs? There are times where you'd like, we'd like you to be longer downstairs. I was like, yes, that's the heart of God, isn't it? That's exactly right. Everyone has access to Jesus. Challenge. As we sit with angry Jesus, we've got to ask ourselves this, church. Who do I automatically disregard or assume Jesus might not have the time for and wouldn't want to bless? How much do I approach Jesus with the trust and simplicity of a child? Good questions to ask ourselves this week. And encouragement. If you feel on the margins for any reason, but long for God's blessing, Jesus sees you. He sees you and he wants to bring you up front and center. He welcomes you into full access and relationship with him. Wow. Finally, the weirdest one of all. Come on, we don't like to, we we gloss over this. We gloss over this get behind me Satan moment. I mean, it doesn't feel like the Jesus that we know. This is the moment where Jesus turns his back on Peter. So he's turned tables. He's turned convention on its head. And now he's turning his back on one of his best mates that he has done the journey with. Why? Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to show the disciples clearly that he must go to Jerusalem and endure many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be killed and raised from death to life on the third day. So he's talking about what's going to happen to him. Peter took him aside to speak to him privately, a nice way of doing it, incidentally. If you have an issue with someone, always good to take them to one side and speak to them privately. And he begins to reprimand Jesus, saying, may God forbid it. This will never happen to you. But Jesus, right, come on. I don't know if anyone else reads it. I feel like this feels like such an overreaction. Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Like, wait, what? I cannot identify this with you, Jesus. You are endlessly patient. You had so much time. You brought those disciples in and you watched them do really ridiculous things. And for something that Peter's saying with a good heart, which is basically, I really don't want this to happen to you, Jesus, you seem to go crazy. Like, it's disproportionate anger. Am I the only one? Okay, good. That's good to know that someone else feels like that too. What is this all about? It feels harsh. Peter has followed Jesus through thick and thin when others have got up and walked away. Jesus has shared his heart. He's told him about what's going to happen to him. His mission, going to the cross, suffering, dying, But Peter won't have it in this moment, and he's pretty upset. Once again, someone or something was getting in the way of the heart and the plan of God for restored relationship with mankind. And I think that's why Jesus got so upset. You see, Peter, in his good motivation to keep Jesus with him, 
was actually being really unhelpful to Jesus at a time where he was focused on where he had to go. Jesus was intent. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew that he had to die. And just a few days later, we're going to see Jesus agonizing in the garden, pleading with his father that if it's possible to find another way, to find another way. So the humanity of Jesus is, is wrestling with this moment. Yes, his spirit is intent, but his man, his flesh, that side of him is thinking, I can't do it. And so when Peter unwittingly gives him a way out or says, no, this shouldn't happen to you. You can't do that. that it can't be. Jesus has to rebuke him. He has to get angry because he knows that if his mission isn't completed, there will be generations to come who will never benefit of, with restored relationship with God. He's got to do it. And that's why he's mad. It's another barrier. And he says to Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. That's an indication of, I could trip over you. This is a barrier between what I've come to do. I've got to have my eyes locked now with my dad in heaven. And I know you mean well, but I need you behind me because the cross is before me. You're thinking about your own manly understanding. I'm thinking about a divine mission. Blows me away. Jesus... loves you and me so much, so, so much that he's willing to keep going, keep going all the way to the cross to make sure that for all of us who wouldn't otherwise have had access to this beautiful, unconditional love relationship with God, it's dealt with once and for all. And the veil is torn. No more Jews and Gentiles. We become one because of what Jesus did at the cross and the common thread between every instance I've shown you this morning about Jesus becoming angry is that his dad's love and his heart are misrepresented. Jesus hates it when we stop others from accessing his love and forgiveness. He came to remove everything that could ever bar our way from walking and talking with our dad in heaven. He turned tables of injustice and oppression. He removed obstacles and brought people in from the margins. There are no lengths that he isn't prepared to go to. No tables he wouldn't leave unturned in order to reclaim your heart, in order to reclaim my heart. So I don't want to leave us with a neatly sewn up thing. I want us to sit uncomfortably with angry Jesus today. And I'd like to leave us with questions. I think sometimes it's just good for us to have more questions than we began with. It raises a lot of questions for me. What tables does Jesus want to turn today, I wonder? Are there elements? Would he walk into Skylark Church and turn some tables over? We've got to ask it, haven't we? What tables does he want to turn in my heart or life? What injustice am I comfortable to coexist with? Do I need to become more like table-turning Jesus? What makes me angry? Am I too busy getting angry about superficial things to see the real injustices around me? Am I a stumbling block to others accessing Jesus? Do I misrepresent his heart? Surely I know I will have done, and you will have done. What if we're missing the point? 
What would happen if instead of getting angry with petty things, we came up higher and saw the bigger kingdom picture? What if the church of Jesus was moved to turn tables like he did? Whenever we see others denied access or proximity to Jesus because of religious roadblocks, societal hierarchies or ingrained injustices. What do I passively accept as the status quo from my comfortable point of view that Jesus longs for me to see differently? Or maybe I'm not called to turn a table, but to prepare a table. Maybe there's a seat at my table today that I could invite someone to sit at who may feel disqualified or distant. Church, let's open our hearts and allow table-turning Jesus to challenge and change us to become more like him. Why don't we stand? We're going to head back into worship in just a moment. So worship team, you're welcome to come whenever you're ready. But I'd love to pray for us this morning. Maybe you have never stepped into that beautiful love relationship with God, our Father. But you've heard this morning that there's no stone that Jesus would leave unturned in order to win our heart and to reclaim that beautiful, simple, childlike relationship between dad and children. If that's you today, I'd love to pray for you. Perhaps today you're uncomfortable because you actually know it's time to choose some things on your watch that shouldn't exist, that upset and grieve the heart of God. And if that's you, then my prayer is that Holy Spirit will meet with you and that that righteous anger, you would outwork in a fully righteous way. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm encouraged that you got angry just like me but I'm inspired that your anger was always about bringing other people closer to your dad in heaven. It was always about giving people access. Forgive me for the times that I get angry over things that just don't matter. I pray today for anyone who feels distant or disqualified, for anyone who hasn't yet stepped into a relationship with you, that you would remind them this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit of how much you love them and passionately care for them. And I pray for those of us who do know you, that you'd help us to represent you better, that we would sit with table-turning Jesus and be challenged. Forgive us, Lord, here at Skylark Church for the times that we've put obstacles or barriers in people's way. Forgive us where we've become consumeristic in our worship, that it becomes all about us, sometimes to the exclusion of others. And mostly, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see the injustices that you just don't want us to coexist with any longer. And that that would fuel prayer and it would fuel action. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen.